You're listening to Incredibles with Jasmine Arch and Damon J. Clay. Hello and welcome back to Incredibles with me, Damien J. Clay, and my co-host. Hello everyone, um, this is Jasmine Arch and it's so great to be here. We've been away for a little while with you know life taking over as it does sometimes, but we're back now and we are back to stay. We've got a great show for you today uh, with someone we really love and admire, Arjean Bell better known to the incubator as Bex. Welcome in, Bex. Hi, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about Bex's work and writing, but just to begin with, to let you hear what Bex is all about, she's going to read one of her poems. 42. My hair is going grey in two places, but the meaning of life still eludes me. The brutal... Hormonal migraines continue, but at least my brain still works, mostly. My body often refuses to cooperate, but many dreams have become reality. Pain is my constant companion, but it makes the good days even sweeter. That was fantastic, Bex. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Well, actually, this is about the second poem that I've written in my return to poetry. Uh, I wrote it a few months after my 42nd birthday, when I was, this would be a little bit over a year ago, when I was thinking about the fact that I was 42, which is supposed to be the magical number of, of the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. And I had absolutely no clue what the meaning is of the life, the universe, and everything. And <laughs> this is what came out of it. Well, I have to say, the minute I read it um, back then, I was I was excited. It was such a great. It it shows so much of your personality, and your sense of humor, and it's just so typically you to 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 hit it with the cliche. I just find it odd that people say I have a sense of humor. Well, you do. You hide it well, but it's definitely there. Well, well absolutely. No, I agree too. And and there's there's a tremendous sense of irony within that poem. Well, I kind of owe you for some of that. Oh, well, I might let you get into that later, but but, <laughs> but, but just for now, we're going to talk about you. So, Bex, everybody in the incubator knows your love of writing and your love of reading. What made you become a writer? What made you want to do it? I don't even know that I ever thought about it that way. For, for me, books have been a part, of, a part of my life for longer than I remember, which is not... I don't think that's quite the way it is for most people. Most people remember learning to read. And all I know is that my mother says, always said that I taught myself to read when I was three. And she didn't think at first that I was reading. She thought I was just remembering the words from having been read to. So she handed me a book that I've never seen before. And I read the book to her. And I've never stopped reading. I think writing just kind of came out of that when I was in college studying literature. I did some writing then. Um, I started doing some poetry then. It was creepy stuff that I really didn't want to go back to. <laughs> and, and then I ended up taking some creative writing with fiction as well. And so that got me into it. Then life got in the way and I didn't write for a long time. And then when my health failed, I started writing again because it was something I could do. 
then I overdid it and injured my hand too much and got away from it again. And I got back to it just because I needed more reading material. And being on a writer's group means that I get to see a whole lot of reading material. That ended up leading me back to the fact that I couldn't not write myself. So it's not really a conscious choice. It's just something I can't not do. I think that's a, a very common theme amongst writers. <laughs> I'm someone who definitely can't not write. Even when I'm supposed to be resting and ordered to be resting and doing nothing, I just get back and start writing again. It's very hard not to do. Um, one, one of the things about, about Ubex that everybody knows is your voracious appetite for novels. How much do you read? Well, there's a reason that my book reviews on my webpage are called a book a day addict. I generally end up averaging somewhere around a book a day. How does reading as much as you do inform your writing? I think a lot of what I does when I read this much, I mean, a lot of what I'm reading at this point, besides reading on the writers group, is is freebies that are available on Amazon because my book buying budget is absolutely zero. So I kind of devour whatever I can get my hands on. Most people can just say, well, go to the library. But I live in Denmark and I really, really hate reading and translation. I tried reading Danish books. I did that for a couple of years where I was forcing myself to read in Danish. But it was really exhausting for me because the books that interested me were mostly written in an older style of Danish that I don't read easily. So it was challenging and it was frustrating me. So I read, you know, whatever I can get my hands on that's free. And that means I'm reading a lot of stuff that could be done better. So I am learning a lot about what not to do and what turns me off as a reader. But I'm not like most people in that it's rare for me to actually put a book down. Um, it has to really be bad. If I review a book that I did not finish it, it's bad because I always... <laughs> I always have this voice in my head that says, well, maybe they're just having trouble with the first couple chapters. Maybe they just needed to get their stride. And, and I keep wanting to give the writer a chance to turn it around before I give up on them. So I tend to actually finish them and then I really trash them. I give up on books after three paragraphs. I mean, that's it. No mercy. Yeah, I minimum read a chapter. Usually minimum of three before I even think about giving it up. I tend to go back and forth. But whenever I do put it down, there's always a part of me that feels sort of, I don't know, the thing with me is, is curiosity and it always gets the better of me. So even when it's really bad, I just, yeah, I have a hard time putting it down too. You have to know what happens. You have to know what, even if the story is really, really bad, this character that you've you know, gotten invested in, in in three chapters, if there's a character, you have to know what happened to them. Exactly. And then you get pissed off at the, at the author who didn't do a very good job telling their story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you get a cliffhanger ending and you just want to scream. But that's, the, that's the advantage with, with getting to read so much on a writer's group. Because there's still a chance to fix it. And the people that are here on our writer's group on Incubator and sharing their work, most of them actually want to do better. So... Instead of, you know, trashing a writer on Amazon, I get to talk to somebody who actually cares about what they're writing and help them make the story be what they want to be. And, and that's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, isn't that brilliant? It's, it's really good when people listen to feedback, come back and repost the story, and all of a sudden it's really doing its thing. 
Well, and there's nothing better than than somebody saying, "Oh, I just got this accepted here." Yeah, even if it's a small magazine, but that feeling of I helped them make the story be the best story they could make it, and now it's that story is coming out in the world. That that's that's the best thing. It's probably time for another poem. So, would you like to read your next one? Like to? That's a good question. Um, but I'm going to. <laughs> Accident prone. Normal people don't blow out a knee standing in the kitchen making a sandwich. But I've always been like this. Accident prone. One early riding lesson, I flew off the horse and broke three boards in the arena wall. I got back on. Never broke a bone except that time my brothers dropped a bucket of bricks on my big toe. Once I had a piece of wood, triangular the size of my fingernail, stuck in my foot for 13 days. As a kid, it was always my feet. Nails, glass, bee stings, and poison ivy. I lost count of all the tetanus shots. I still hate shoes. Soccer wasn't safe. Not as goalie, anyway. The ball bent my hand, backwards, and sprained my arm. It got better just in time for gym class and volleyball. The tendonitis still plagues me. I tried rollerblading. I fell and met my knee sideways. Don't worry, no torn ligaments. You're just hypermobile, said the surgeon. I shouldn't be surprised. I've just destroyed my knee, making an egg salad sandwich. That was absolutely fantastic. Thank you for that, Bex. I, I love that poem. I really do. I, I know you've had your doubts over it, but I think when I've heard it again recently, it, it really shines. But when I've heard you reading this recently, the, the sense of humour in it and the irony and all of the little inflections that you make in it are absolutely fantastic. Did I ever mention I did some acting in high school? I think that comes out in junior <laughs> high and high school. I think some of that comes out when I start reading. Um, yeah, um, it definitely does. It definitely does. You, your voice, your tone, your tone of voice really brings it to life even more. Though I did love the written version. The worst is you can't see me sticking my my, my pinky in the air when I read the fingernail line. <laughs> well, maybe next time we'll do a video cast. No, we won't. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. We will not be doing a video. The thing with this poem, though, is also I think it reads better aloud than it actually reads on paper. And I also think that it helped that we edited it. See, this poem was maybe my third or fourth poem from my return to poetry. And I have a tendency to go really, really short on line breaks. And I went too short for the poem. And we didn't realize that until I started reading it aloud. And the line breaks just didn't work because I kept you know, it, was, it got really, really choppy. So we went through it and I lengthened all the, line, lengthened all the lines and now I feel like this poem's actually really good. It's one of the poetry challenges I set on Inc a while back as well, which was to do a reading edit. Because I, I think it really is the case that, that poems start to get a lot better when you read them out and start editing based on what they sound like. Because, you know, poetry is a spoken form in, in, in the same way that, you know, you, you could read a play in a book, 
but the way you're meant to experience a play is to see it on stage. And, and I think the real way to experience poetry is in a reading. But I think also when doing that, when doing reading edits, I think you need to do what we did here, which was, these are poems I wrote, not yesterday. So I have some distance from the lines and I'm able to reassess them based on not what I was trying to do originally, but based on how they come out. So it was easier for me to, to edit this poem because it's as old as it is than it was to edit. We had, we had some arguments in one of the other ones I'm going to read about where I put some of my line breaks where you wanted me to change them and I refused. And I still think I did the right thing, but part of it might be because I'm still really attached to what I was trying to do when I did it. Whereas this one, I don't care what I was trying to do anymore. I care how the poem is. Well, that's, I think that's a really good attitude. So tell us, tell us about your journey into poetry then, because you, you, you started out writing prose. Um, well, no, I started out writing poetry <laughs> in college. Okay, sorry. I when, when I first met you, you were writing prose. <laughs> when you first met me, I was writing prose, and I was extremely furious that there was absolutely no way you were going to get me to write poetry again. Well, I didn't. It wasn't something that I, I made you do. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but I was extremely adamant that poetry was not somewhere I was going to go again. You because... know, that sounds familiar. He's very good at that, isn't he? He is. He's given us all the poetry pox. The poetry pox is spreading across Incubator and everyone is becoming a poet whether they want to or not. But it's the best disease to have, though. Yes. We can get into the, later we can get into the benefits of poetry on prose. But, yeah, definitely. I look forward to that one. But what happened with this is when I was in college, I wrote a lot of usual angsty, depression-type poetry. It wasn't some of it was okay, but a lot of it was looking at it today, I realized how crappy I was. Um, but I didn't want to go back to that state of mind where I was then. I was afraid that I would easily fall back into the, the dark, the dark becks that I was then if I got doing poetry. But somebody kept sticking poetry in my face. <laughs> and, and one day... It worked. You, you put up William Carlos Williams, whom I absolutely loved when I was doing lit classes in college. I remember with Mr. Lawrence in my, in my lit classes with my American lit doing William Carlos Williams. So one day you would put up, I think you put up two. I think you put up both plums and the little red wheelbarrow. Yeah. Well, who doesn't and love those? It, yes, exactly. And it reminded me what poetry could be because neither of those is dark dramatic yeah with that plus you had done unintended poetry which for those of you who don't know when we chat on discord it's in a text form so sometimes jay goes back into back scroll of what we've said and he takes our words and he turns them into poetry so you've done that to me twice before i wrote a poem again on purpose and, and that combination of the unintended poetry and William Carlos Williams, the next morning after the William Carlos Williams day, I woke up with a poem in my head. And no matter how much I tried to say, I'm not doing this, I couldn't not write it down. It just demanded. So I wrote Snap, Crackle, Pop. You helped me edit it. And I guess you could say I never could go back because after that came 42 and, and Accident Prone and some other pieces 
in a variety of qualities, but I've just never been able to go back. I, I, poetry just comes out sometimes and I can't help it. So w when you write a poem, tell us about the process that you take. You definitely hot start on poems. You know, you, you have an inspiration, but, but can you also cold start? Can you sit down and just, just write a poem? Yes, I can. It's, it's harder for me and it takes me a little bit longer, but I have done that multiple times now with some of your challenges where uh, some, a couple of those I've never finished. Um, one of them was very emotional and I wasn't able to finish it. Um, actually two of them, but yeah, I can, but it's a lot harder for me. And I think that it's easier for me to end up with them feeling forced and then I'm not happy with them. Whereas the ones that come on their own and demand to be written, I can't not write them. I have to write them. But once I write them, I have to write them again. Because I have a very good friend who told me that I have to redraft. <laughs> and sometimes he tells me that I have to redraft so many times that I'm about ready to strangle him because I don't want to redraft again. But I think the point of the redrafting is that it makes me find, keep finding what else is there about the poem. So it really is making me go deeper and deeper into it. And if I can't find the words to redraft, if I, if I look at the poem, I've got one that I have been supposed to redraft for probably about nine months because I wrote it when Sky was pretty little. And I still need to do at least one more, more draft on it, and I struggle to do that. And it may be that the reason I'm not managing to draft it is because the topic of the poem isn't strong enough. That if I can't find the words, if I can't find the redraft, if I can't find another way to say things, maybe what I'm saying really isn't that important. It, it's probably the same for prose. At least I, I feel it's the same, the same way because, you know, I, I do multiple drafts of my novels. It's really not at that stage about making the novel or the poem better, but it's more of a psychological process in the writer's you know, relationship to the story, pulling those things out of the unconscious that you're going to get to use later when you properly sit down and form the poem. When I do prose, I do prose completely differently. I don't redraft prose unless I'm talking about a 50-worder or a 100-worder. I don't usually redraft those the same way. But I think that it, you have to do it in poetry where you maybe can get away with not doing it in prose because the structure of the poetry and the tightness of the poetry means that you can't write a whole bunch and then strip it. Prose, you can be, you can write a whole bunch and you write everything that's in your head and you just keep writing it. And then when you go back and edit it, you strip it down to the best bits. Poetry, you can't overwrite that way. I mean, you can, but... It's because you're trying to make it fit into, into the form of poetry. You don't overwrite it the same way you do prose, where you then strip it back. And when you do prose and you're editing and you say, okay, this line I'm telling, it's easier to go in and fill that out. Whereas because of the form of poetry, it almost has to come out a stanza at a time, at least. You know, you, you can go in, you can go in and tweak it. But, but when you go in and edit, you don't usually redo an entire line or redo the imagery of a line. Whereas in prose, it's easy to go in and say, you know what, that simile doesn't work or that metaphor doesn't work or I'm telling there and then just expand it and redo that in editing. You can't do that in poetry. The way I look at it, I, mean, I totally agree. But the way I look at it, um, I have a visual brain. Um, as some of you may know, some of you may not. But my thoughts sort of 
look like images, schematics and, and graphics. And When I think of poetry, I think of impressionism. If you do an impressionist painting or if you do a sketch um, that you want to have this impressionist feel, you just do it. And if it's not right, you do it over. Um, it's not like a realist painting or, 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 or a photograph that you can then load into Photoshop and keep perfecting. So if it's just not there, you start over, I guess. Um, that is a wonderful explanation of it. That, that really, yes, that clicks exactly with me. It's, 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 it's like with, a, with photography, taking, taking 10, 10 shots of the same basic image to take the best one. Definitely. But for painting, yeah, you can't, with painting, you can't undo a brush, you can't remove a brush stroke when you've painted. You can paint over it, but you do that too many times and it's going to get ugly. And that's what, how it works with poetry. If you redo a line too many times, you're going to lose your, your feel in your poetry. Whereas if you write the whole thing again, it flows. That's a really good analogy. Yeah, I think you need to write an article on that, Jess. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good to, to me. Add it to my to-do list. Why not? Well, also, I think it might help some of our other members who are feeling the initial resentment that I know I felt the first time I handed Jay a poem and he says, go write three more drafts. Oh, you don't feel that anymore. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, after Spaceman and, and actually achieving uh, an award on Spaceman, I don't have that option anymore because he's been proved right. Yeah, he has. He has. No, I mean, when he tells me to, to go away and do 10 more drafts, I know he's right. Well, he doesn't really mean 10. He says 10, but... Yeah, I know, I know. And, but, but I know he's right, but I don't have to like it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I'm not saying that I still don't like it, but I think I value it more now because now it's giving me results. Every poem that I've sold has been one that I have redrafted. I've sold three poems that I can talk about. And then I've got some other stuff that I'm not supposed to talk about yet. But, but the three that I can talk about, they've all been ones where I've done multiple drafts. And the best one of them, the one that, the one that, I'm, the one that I took a second place award in the Baltimore Science Fiction Society com uh, competition for, I took second place on that one. That one, I was mad I had to redraft it. I really, I, I, at first I'm like, no, there's nothing wrong with this poem. I just need to edit it. It's fine. Andrew likes it. Annika likes it. Why do I have to redraft it? But I did it anyway when he told me to. Because he wouldn't help me if I didn't. So, <laughs> but, the, but the thing is... So like him. But the thing is, he was right. When I redrafted it, and I took the best pieces from each of them, and I found some different ways of saying things, I ended up with the poem that took the award. And I wouldn't have that if I hadn't listened to him. I have no doubt that if I had sent out my initial draft there that I was happy with, I thought I was you know, somewhat happy with, I, I have no doubt I would not have made the, the list. Absolutely no doubt. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you, Bex, uh, and of you, Jazz, as well, in, 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 in the way that you've, you've both come on as poets. So talking about accident-prone, many of your poems are linked back and inspired by some of your health issues. How does, how does that work and how does that inform your poetry? Well, my health is pretty much takes up a large portion of my day anymore. 
uh, with the variety of joint issues and aches and pains and migraines and everything else. So it's always there, no matter what I do. And I can't, I can't have it not come out in my poetry. The accident prone came out when I was making an egg salad sandwich and managed to mess up my knee bad enough that I needed an MRI on it. So it, it, it ended up not being torn, but the doctor thought I had a torn meniscus, which how do you tear your meniscus making an egg salad sandwich? It's just the, the concept that I could injure that badly is just so ridiculous. But when you think about everything else stupid I've done, that it's not a big surprise. I mean, I displaced a rib at one point and we figure it's because I was hauling fence panels for the horses. Normal people don't do that. I mean, I think, I think you would be considered to be a confessional poet. So you have recently made some forays into genre writing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the ones that, the ones that I've sold have all been genre. So none of the other ones have sold yet. Oh, I'd, I'd say Spaceman is confessional. Yeah, it, but it's, it's still it's, it's kind of t- told in a genre way, but I'd still I'd still say it was a, a confessional yeah. poem. Well, I think with I think with even the confessional ones, to some extent, the first draft is confessional. The first draft is like what the first draft is like the the angsty teenage poetry that so many people write at some point in their life. Um, but then by redrafting it, I make it something more and something completely different. Because at some point in the redrafting. I let go of me and let the poem take over. Yeah, that, that sounds like a very good way to do things. Yeah, and even some of the, even the ones that I've written on demand, um, you know, for assignments, for, for challenges and things like that, the, and, the, and the ones that are, the, the genre ones also, all have a personal aspect to them. Um, I have one coming out in Paranormal Magazine from Alban Lake next month. And that one drew on childhood fears and then just went another step further. So I think, I think we always use what we know to some extent. The challenge is letting go of enough of that to let the poem take over. Well, I've obviously I've read that poem and believe believe me, it's, it's going to be worth getting hold of a copy of that magazine just to, just to read that one. Uh, Oh, definitely. it's, It's a fantastic poem. Yes. I mean, I, well, plus I get to be in the magazine together with both of you, which I think is worth mentioning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so everyone who's listening, Alban Lake website, go out and buy the June Parabnormal magazine edited by H. David Blalock. Go out and buy that magazine and read poetry from all three of us. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. When they settle down, you'll record it again and we'll just chop it up back to the zip you started there. Hi, this is Damien. To avoid missing any of our future podcasts, join our mailing lists by clicking on the link down below.